100%. I have that immigrant mentality. Man. Like mm. It's never enough. You always want to be more. You always, you always got to work harder than everybody else. Like I have to work 10 times harder than the guy next door. I have to be the first one in the office. I have to be the last one to leave. If the guy is, you know, doing, you know, 10 hour days, I want to do 11 hour days. But that's just my my competitive nature. And uh, I I don't think there's anybody else that works harder than me. <laughs> But again, that's just me thinking that. Um, yeah, but I always want to prove people wrong. I always want to make sure I'm the hardest working guy around and stuff like that. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast, giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. You know, when people say they feel, you know, really motivated or just really driven or they, they go to YouTube or wherever and watch motivational videos or talks, this entire podcast for me was a motivational talk. <laughs> I had the pleasure of interviewing Frank Mendoza. Frank is a realtor here in the Litchfield Park, Goodyear, Arizona area. And he was our realtor. And not only was he a fantastic realtor to work with, always so very attentive to our needs. And he was very educational and very knowledgeable for us. And he was just, he was our, our guide throughout the whole home buying process, which, you know, housing things have been crazy the last couple of years. So that was really nice to have him as a part of our journey. But he just has such a story and, you know, everyone has a story, but he has such a story of overcoming obstacles and challenges and challenges and obstacles that are very unique to a certain subset of people. And he talks about one thing that I took away that was massive from this is he talks about this idea of the immigrant mentality and that people that move here from another country whose families didn't grow up here, you know, they are not used to a lot of the the delicacies and a lot of the things we have here in the, in the States that make us feel safe and his perspective on what it was like for him to grow up and be the man of the house as a teenager and really be, you know, he told me that he was talking with bankers and lawyers as a teenager for his parents because he was the only one who could speak English, speak English. And I was fascinated by that and the amount of growth and self discovery that you have as you go through that journey is just, it's worth its weight in gold and it's honestly worth its weight to listen to somebody who has been through that experience and the idea of, of work ethic and challenge. So if you're someone who feels like you could use a pick me up or a boost, or you just really love listening to a really just heartfelt, good story of somebody overcoming so much, I think you're going to love this. He was also, he was working in the financial and banking sector throughout the 2008, 2009 crisis, which if any of you, can remember any part about that mildly stressful <laughs> to have been through that period of time but this was such a pleasure to be able to interview frank and really unpack more about his life story and if you want to learn more about where to find him you can find all of his social all the social media info in the show notes so without further ado let's get into my conversation with frank i don't think that all of us can be teachers i, I some of us are doers and uh, i would just go in and taking a step back and showing somebody exactly how I do, how I respond to clients, how I post on social media, stuff like that. It took, yeah, like I said, it took me almost a year. But now it's like, like you see some post in my social media, you think it's me who's doing it. But no, it's her, you know, 
she's learned how to speak like me and how to communicate with clients like I do. Mm, that's kind of scary. She's learned to speak like you. <laughs> yeah, it's well, PG thirteen version. PG thirteen version. Did you have a particular moment you can remember where you realized, oh, hey, I really need to offload this work to somebody else? Yes, yes. So, um, twenty eighteen, um, I was part of a uh, very successful real estate team, and I decided to own my own. I made a big, you know, um, Facebook post about it saying that, you know, I'm, you know, taking a leap of faith and, you know, going on my own and stuff like that. I sent an email to all my clients and I don't know what happened, Nick, but that day, like my inbox was just full of, you know, congratulations, this and that. And then I became, since that day, I was so busy that I couldn't even handle the the workload that came because you know i was used to having you know five six transactions at a time you know prospecting and stuff like that and then out of nowhere i got like 25 clients that wanted to buy a house at the same time and it was just me going on my own no assistant no showing agent nothing it was just me so that day at the time uh, my ex-wife was able to help me out a lot with that um she was able to handle some of the pressure and we hire a showing agent to help me out but yeah that was i remember it was the beginning of 2018 when that happened mm. and since then you know um it's been a learning curve but yeah i'm, I'm blessed man yeah that's i was gonna say that's big to, to 5x your client base in one email that like how did in, that feel one, it was man it was crazy obviously you know i'm a numbers guy so i i know how many deals i'm gonna close a year i know how many you know, leads I supposed to get a week, um, especially with that clientele that I have. I don't do like I don't do online leads. I don't do stuff like my stuff is just it comes from the gym or it comes from my past clients. So everything it's you know pretty structured and stuff like that. So I know what my month is gonna look like. When you get twenty five clients at the same time, it's just chaos. It's just like yeah. Yeah, it took a lot. It took a lot of me out of me. It took like six months to be able to breathe and take a day off. It was a hell of a year. But you know, like I can't complain. You know, I did really well that year. And you know, as you know, you know, real estate can be you know very good financially. So once you start making money that way, you know, it's easy to delegate. It's easy to buy the systems. It's easy to buy programs and stuff like that to help you. And then you can do more of what probably your skill set and expertise in and have people exactly yeah yep. do the, the, the admin type tasks. Yeah. 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 Which, which, you know, people don't know, but that that's what takes the longest. Like that's especially in real estate, that's, you know, you can spend five to six hours a day just doing admin stuff. And for me, like I don't make any money doing admin stuff. Like that's just the contract is already, you know, done with the client is already happy. It's just paperwork that needs to be done when you're able to delegate that to somebody else, I'm able to spend more time either with new clients, meeting new people, networking at the gym, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that six month period where you're working your tail off, did you, did you feel that? Or were you just on this sort of rush no. the whole time of, man, I you love just, this. It, I swear to God, I, I feel like I was like on the zone because it was like seven days a week getting out of the house at 5am to go to the gym don't come back home to like six, seven at night, seven days a week. And it was like no vacation, no days off. It was 
going. And it was such a such a great experience to see because, you know, like I said, in real estate, like you put in the work and you get the results right away. So seeing that, you know, I was able to, you know, be on my own and, you know, pretty much prove to people that I can do it on my own. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like you have that mentality or mindset of wanting to prove people not, I don't want to say wrong, but prove people that you like, oh, I'm capable. I can, I can rock this. Oh, 100%. I have that immigrant mentality. Man. Like mm. it's never enough. You always want to be more. You always, you always got to work harder than everybody else. Like I have to work 10 times harder than the guy next door. I have to be the first one in the office. I have to be the last one to leave. If that guy is, you know, doing, you know, 10 hour days, I want to do 11 hour days. But that's just my my competitive nature. And uh, I I don't think there's anybody else that works harder than me. <laughs> but again, that's just me thinking that. Um, yeah, but I always want to prove people wrong. I always want to make sure I'm the hardest working guy around and stuff like that. Mm, and as someone who's worked with you, I can definitely second that motion <laughs> and appreciate the, the work that you do put in. Because it is, like you said, when you're working with clients so much, that extra work pays off. Like when it when yeah. it's that much easier for us on our end to not have to deal with all the things and like you shoulder that load, which we thank you for, but I'm sure it takes its toll. Yeah. Oh, you guys. Yeah. You guys were easy to work with. Man. <laughs> yes. You guys were my easy clients. We have, uh, <laughs> so my, my lender, um, her name is Lisa Hopper. She has me um, early on, like 2016, 2017, she had me draw or pretty much describe your perfect client. Right. So, you know, you kind of describe the perfect client and stuff. You guys were that you and your wife you guys were like the perfect clients easy to work with nice you know always on time yeah and the i mean you know, we're blessed we got we were able to find you guys a perfect home yeah i think i'll, I'll give Haley 99.9 percent .9 of the, the credit do all the important stuff because she's good at it so i, I yeah. want to so i'll never know how this feels but talk me through what that immigrant mentality feels like Okay. Um, well, I moved here when I was 11. Okay. I was, I was just turning 12. Yeah. And, um, you know, you moving into a country where you don't know the language, you don't know how to move around. I was used to, I grew up in a little town in Mexico and I was, you know, riding my bike from home to school, to the grocery store. And in here, it's like a whole different thing. Right. So I get into school, seventh grade. And, um, you're never you never feel like you fit in it's always you know i it took me like a year to kind of understand what was going on in the in the classrooms because you know i did that's the school was 100 in english i didn't understand what the teachers were saying i you know it was such a headache and then um you always feel like you're fighting against everybody just to prove to people that you're not an idiot and, and then you know once you graduate high school you know go to college is the same thing and as you keep getting more success you have more access to people it is the same it just multiplies the pressure that you feel it just multiplies you know i didn't have a, i was the first one in my family to go to college i was mm. the first one to graduate you know so everything it's like a big i was you know i was really young when i bought my first house so it's it's always a fight against everything. I feel like that motivates you because there's no look back. Like I don't have, I am the backup of the family. Like I don't have 
an uncle that I can go to and kick and say, hey, you know what, this is how I did it. Like I was 14, 15 years old and I was helping my parents fill out, you know, medical, you know, medical documents that I didn't even know what they mean. I was just filling them out. I was, you know, translating, you know, because they would buy and sell houses. I was translating what the country was saying at 15. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but mm. the pressure that you feel like you grow up so fast because of, you know, you pretty much, the, I was a man of a, the house really, really young. Mm. But yeah, it brings an extra, you know, ship on your shoulder, especially when you know there's nobody to come and save you. It's, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's like when people, sometimes they say they have a plan B or sometimes it's beneficial to not have a plan B. Like all you have is plan A and you have to make yeah. that work regardless of what <laughs> well, yeah, there's, play out. Yeah. yeah, there's there's nobody to fall back on. There's nobody to look. Like, you know, I have a lot of friends who own businesses and they have an uncle who put them on. They have, a, their dad gave them the company. Their brother helped them out. Like, I don't have anybody guiding me. Nope, it's just me. So the um, the pressure, it's a little different. Mm. Do yeah. you feel like you felt that pressure at 15? I felt it when I was 12. Mm. Yeah, mm. I felt it early, early on. Like, mm. yeah, because my mom, she's, you know, pretty strong woman. And she, um, she always makes sure I knew the sacrifices that they were doing in order for me to go to school, in order for me to play in the basketball team in order for me to, you know, be able to afford shoes. Like, hey, me and your dad are working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day for you to be able to go to a good school. I want nothing but A's. So if I would get home with a B, you know, it was a big issue because that was my only job. My only job was to go to school. Mm. And like, you need to learn how to speak English. You need to learn how to, you know, type and how to use a computer. I was the one who used to pay for bills and stuff like, for them because they didn't know. Like I would go to the bank with them to deposit money. Then my dad had a flooring company and uh, I would help him like with scheduling and stuff. Like I was still, I was a freshman in high school and I was doing admin stuff for my, <laughs> my dad and his Man. flooring company and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And, and I have a lot of, now I have a lot of clients that own construction companies and their kids do that stuff for them. Like I used to do for my dad. So it's, it wasn't just me or I'm not a special kind of generation or whatever but you see it in especially in the hispanic community when you know the parents come here and they're still working the kids take take the load off their shoulders it's your responsibility as a kid to help out your parents mm. and how, what did what types of things because i imagine that just like you said feels so like so much pressure is on you what things did you do at that age to relieve that i did i i didn't know that you it was, I thought it was normal life. I thought mm. it's, it was every kid's responsibility um, until I I played on a club, um, a basketball club, and it was like like very high level. And I was probably the, the only Hispanic in that whole group. So um, I, at the time, I didn't know that I had so much responsibility to do at home. So we would go like to Vegas to play basketball. We'd go to like, um, Utah and stuff like that and I was like helping my dad through the phone on how to respond to an invoice or how to do this and the other kids they were playing Xbox or they were playing PlayStation and I'm like I we're not the same like yeah. I have a lot of things to do and these guys are just living you know 
And, um, you know, the responsibility factor, like, affected a lot on me growing up. Like, it makes you grow up a lot faster, like I said. Yeah. Was was basketball your outlet then? Because I imagine to go through all that and to have a sport that I'm sure you loved, like, yeah. to be able to do that every day, it was probably, like, was, oh, a couple hours. Yeah, I was good at basketball, so it was easy for me. And um, my dad, my dad played professional baseball in Mexico. So obviously he wanted me to play baseball. I wasn't that good at baseball. So um, I, that was not an option for me. So I started playing basketball and I was kind of good. So they allowed me, but I had to do so many shorts at home in order to be able to play basketball. Like it was more of a headache than a, <laughs> because I had to like clean the backyard. I had to like wash the cars just to get $25 a month for the club or whatever they needed. Mm. um but it, yeah i mean it helped a lot i learned a lot about life you know with sports you learn a lot about life you know i i had a coach who was like you know like a father figure but because you, you know in sports you you get that coach that you know is like your dad outside of home mm-hmm. keep me out of trouble for a long time mm-hmm. you know keep me around very positive people mm. people who you know kids that were going to college, kids that, you know, had scholarships and stuff like that. Because my friends from the regular high school that I would go to, they didn't have those options, you know, like they, their parents, you know, they were, their lifestyle was similar to mine. Then when I played, when I played at the club, those kids were different. It was pretty much like, like, like CrossFit, you know, CrossFit you with this crowd that it's everybody who has like a good job, you know, pretty successful guys and mm-hmm. stuff like that people with the same mentality than you. So that's what club basketball was for me. It took me out of the hood, as they say. Mm, and you feel like CrossFit has now sort of filled that hole that club basketball used to fill? It, it's exactly that. It filled those, that emptiness that I had for you know, 10, 12 years after I graduated high school. Because I didn't play college. I didn't play in college. So when I found CrossFit in 2014, I'm like, well, this is like an overpaid PE class. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bunch of adults just doing basic stuff and everybody's so friendly. Everybody's so positive. I'm like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can hang out here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then once you get to, to college, you know, because I, I had some friends who they were, they worked their tail off. They were so structured and then they get to school and then they just have so much freedom and then they just they don't know what to do with it all. So like walk us through like for college with you, did you still continue to feel that pressure and just grind and grind? Or were you like, I'm going to, no. I'm going to enjoy this a little bit. No. See, I, um, at the time, um, I was with my ex-wife at the time. Mm-hmm. So I met my wife when we were in high school mm-hmm. and, um, she moved in with me in my freshman year of college. And, um, you know, we got married when I was 19. So right after my freshman year of college, you know, I got married and, you know, we bought our house. So even though I was going to college, I I pretty much had an adult life. You know, I had responsibilities at home. You know, I had mm-hmm. a full-time job. And so I didn't enjoy the college life like most of the people. Like, I, I was just going to class and then go to my job and then go home and do the lot. You know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. It, to me, college life wasn't like, ah, let's go ahead and party. Yeah, I did party my freshman year, you know. I, yeah. But, uh. Yeah, it wasn't like, like I talked to my, like Cam and, and them, you know, they had, you know, a blast in college. They did this, they did that. Like, no, I was buying a house. I was remodeling a house at the time. And uh, yeah, I was, I grew up too young. Mm. 
but that's probably benefited you at your current moment of life. You know what I mean? And now that oh, you've, yeah. yeah, yeah, you've lived all that. And now like you're at a place maybe where you can do other things that maybe your typical person your age might not be able to do yet, you know? Yeah, financially it was really good yeah. because, you know, that set up my my life, you know, especially with that first house that we bought. We bought at 19 and we, we pretty much moved in. We remodeled it while I was still in college. My ex-wife was in college at the time. We just remodeled it. When we sold it, we, you know, we got, you know, quite a bit of money. And then that settles up, you know, once you get a good base of money in your account, like everything up is like, okay, mm. now I can do this. Now, I, now maybe I don't have to work a full-time job. Maybe I can just flip houses part-time and just work part-time. So yeah, that, like you said, that set me up financially for a long time. Mm. And is that sort of where your yeah. journey with real estate started? That yeah. first house? Yeah, that yeah. first house. Yeah. I, yeah. um, it wasn't even my plan. My plan was, you know, to, because, you know, like in my, especially my belief was, you know, go to college, get a business degree, you know, work for the bank, work in a financial institution and retire at 65. Work eight to five, you know, the normal, you know, American life or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But then we bought the house and then, um, we were just fixing it for ourselves. We were not planning on selling it. And then when my friend, the one who bought it, who, at the time he was our realtor, he came back to visit us and he's like, well, you, damn, you guys did a great job with the house. You know, you can get this much for the house. And it was almost double what we paid. Hmm. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and then that I kind of see like a little light. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is what I'm making a year right now. And I can make it out of this house. And I only worked on it for two and a half months. Maybe there's something here. Yeah. Mm. And then that's how everything started. But this is back in 2004, Nick. Yeah. So the housing yeah. market was sort of at its, it was peaking at that point. It was peaking. Yeah. yeah. It was peaking at the time. And um, yeah, I got in at the right, I was there at the right time, at the right place. Mm. I think that's a great segue to, you know, it's hard to talk about real estate in today's day and age without talking about what happened in 08 and 09. And yeah. myself being a, a finance and econ major, I studied that crisis or housing crisis or with mortgage-backed securities like so intricately. So I just love to talk about it. So as someone who yeah. was on the ground for most of that, like this is a big question, but how how did that feel like day-to-day -day throughout all that? Well, um, at the time I wasn't licensed. I, mm. I was working at, um, at a financial institution at a bank mm. as a business banker. Mm, and uh, okay. I was flipping houses on the side, but I was, you know, a full-time banker at the time. Um, one of my best friends, she was a loan officer for the bank. And she would go to my branch weekly. And she started telling us early that, you know, oh, it's looking rough. It's looking rough. But I didn't know what she meant, right? Well, you know, what I didn't know is what loan officers were as you know, they were giving loans to people that they should not be giving loans, right? And then those loans had a, you know, temporary rate, and that was going to balloon at a certain date. Well, everybody's loan kind of, you know, expire at the same time. And then, in, well, you know, the rest, the, the rest is history. But I don't think, especially in my, in my surroundings with the people that I know with my network it affected the people that were trying 
to live out of their means. The people who were buying three to four houses, the people who were saying, um, oh yeah, don't worry, we'll buy right now and we'll refinance that one next year and we'll do this. But people that, you know, they were just buying a house for them to live on, those people survived. Those people were great. It was the people that were overextending themselves. Mm. And also there was a lot of investors that, you know, got hurt. But that I know of, and nobody around me like that hurt. hurt. I know people committed suicide and stuff like that over it. Yeah. But it's serious, none, none yeah. of my, yeah, it was really serious. But no, like I said, like it affected people that were taking big risk. Mm. Very responsible people, yeah. It's cool you say that some people were still fine because I feel like so much of the narrative was that everybody got, mm-hmm. you know, took down in some fashions. So the fact that some people were able to still like, if anything, grow through that, it's like, that's, that's a good sign, you know? So, so, you know, they did loan modification mm. like around 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. So most of the banks, they were allowing people to stay in their homes. So a lot of people were able to stay in their homes for like a year maybe a year and a half without paying a more uh, a monthly payment. So um, they were able to modify the loan and, you know, kind of adjusted the value to what the market was. So a lot, especially, you know, if you only had one house, you were able to do that. If you had seven houses, obviously you're going to lose six of them. But um, I feel like some banks were able to help the buyers. Yeah, okay. You said mortgage loan. What is it called? Fortific- what did you say? Modifications. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So if you went through that time in the banking sector, at what point did you decide that the, the house flipping you were doing on the side was like, hey, I want to do this as my day job now? So in 2015, um, we had um, you know quite a few rentals at the time. And uh, we had two that we were having issues with the tenants. And... Uh, and so, you know, I was talking to my financial advisor and I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, sell this to, you know, get, get out the equity out and then pay the one I was living at. He's like, all right, cool. So I called my friend who was a realtor and uh, he went to the houses with me and, you know, he gave me a whole settlement statement of, you know, what the prices was going to be, how much he was going to charge us and stuff. And uh, I remember looking at it and seeing how much he was going to make. And I'm like, well, he's going to make what I make three months working at the bank full-time. So I'm like, I'm just going to take the real estate test and I'm just going to, you know, sell these two houses real quick and then come back to the bank. Well, um, my friend Ben, he heard that I was going to get my license. As soon as I got my license, he asked me to sell his house. So there I have three houses that I have to sell. So I'm like, okay, I'll probably do this for like two months and then go back to the bank. I did one open house, Nick. And I got a bunch of clients out of that open house. Mm. And then I started doing the math and I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense for me to work at the bank and, you know, do real estate full-time. So at that point, I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense to go back to a full-time job when I can do real estate. I saw that. Okay. I saw that, like, like I said, like the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm like, maybe it's time for me to take a break from, you know, corporate America and just give this a shot. Mm. So after that, I never, yeah, I never, I never turned back. I just went and, you know, just started working and working and the rest is history. Was that hard to leave? Especially at one point, like you said earlier, if you thought you were going to be in this career till 65 and boom, retire, like, was that a difficult transition? Um, You know, you got, you're probably going to laugh at this. The benefits were 
the biggest. It wasn't the paycheck. It wasn't the you know the job security. It wasn't anything else. It was it was the benefits that I was getting at at the bank. Mm. You know the health insurance, yeah. the retirement. Yep. That mm. was hard to let go because you know we started looking for like private you know health insurance, and as you know, you know those are expensive and. I'm like, well, I'm only paying, you know, two hundred dollars by weekly here. I'm gonna pay a thousand dollars over there, and that was the hardest thing to do. But um, I knew the money was gonna be there, so money was not gonna be an issue. And um, I just brought the, I just in my mind, I was like, if I just bring the same, you know, work ethic that I have at the bank, and I bring it into working for myself, instead of working for somebody else, I will see the results that I want. So mm. this day I work like if I work at the bank, like I, I track my numbers. I, um, you know, hard on myself, like, Hey, you need to make this much. Like this is the, the bottom of where we at. And uh, yeah, it, it was hard, but you know, I got used to it. Yeah. And that's crazy. Cause if to me, that sounds like, you know, if you hadn't gone through that period, like if you went right into real estate and hadn't worked at the bank, then maybe you wouldn't have all these habits and behaviors of like yeah. number checking and being just incredibly have this huge degree of scrutiny through everything, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the number one thing realtors struggle with being, you know, having your day structure, like realtors think that you can just, you know, just be at home watching Netflix all day and just clients are going to call you. Like, you don't know how many realtors I talk to that. I'm like, how the hell are you alive? Like, you have no schedule. You have no office. Like you just work in your pajamas all day and just dress to go show a house and then come back to home. Like to me, like I treat this like a job, mm. like a regular job. Like I have to be at the office so many hours. You know, I have to do this. I have to like, I, and I'm lucky that I am around, you know, you know, very supportive coaches, coaches that have helped me guide as a success keep going up. They help me guide my, my the structure, my my goals and stuff like that. Mm. And do you now want to be like that same coach to somebody else, or have you had that opportunity to like repass down all that? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, it's hard. It's hard because I want people to care as much as I care, mm. and not everybody wants it as hard as I wanted it. You know, and to me, I like I had this young kid that um is he's a son of a good friend of mine and he came over to work with me and um it was so challenging because it's like i wanted to teach him how to i wanted to mold him to be me right but what i didn't understand at the time was that you know i'm 38 years old the kid is 18 so he doesn't need he doesn't need it as bad as i i want it and for me you know he wakes up at noon and to me, like at noon, like half of my day is already gone. Like, mm-hmm. He wakes up and he shows up, shows up at the office at 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Like for me, like that's so it's really hard to find. But right now I have two guys that I'm, you know, helping out and they are great. They're similar, you know, mentalities in me. So, you know, for passing the knowledge to them, it's a little easier mm-hmm. than what it was to the younger guys. Mm-hmm. And do you wish everyone had your same work ethic no mm. no because then we were all be fighting on the top yeah. you know, like, <laughs> no that's a great thing about you know being you know top of the one percent you know we do whatever the 99 percent 
don't want to do. Mm. If everybody's the same, you know, it's it it wouldn't be worth it. You mm. wanna you wanna see those, you know, you wanna see those six that work hard. You wanna see the six. If everybody's the same, it's not gonna make. It sense. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it it's all relative. Matter. Yeah, yeah. But you always wanna be in the right group, like. You never want to stay like with. You never want to be the smartest guy or the most successful guy in the room. Mm. You know what I mean? If let's yeah. say if I'm 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 part of the one percent in realtors, so like I don't hang out with other realtors. I try not to. I try to hang out with people that own another business or that can teach me different things. That is, I feel like. Do you feel like a lot of realtors understand that, or do a lot of them just hanging out with you know their own crowd? They just. They just hang out with themselves. Yeah. They just yeah. with each other. Yeah. It's and and to me, that's like that's crazy because like I'm like, if I mean obviously I have really good friends who are also realtors. But if I'm always hanging out with the same group of five realtors, like I'm not gonna learn anything out of them. You know, I my closest friends, nobody's in real estate. Nobody like can you know he's a pt like my friend adrian you know he's an hr director my friend dan you know he works for ups so you want to be in a group of people where everybody does different things and then you can mastermind whatever you know they're doing maybe that helps in real estate because then mm. i'm going to be doing something a little different than every other realtor mm. yeah mm. you could take that same mentality and start a podcast <laughs> you know what i mean like just i yeah I hate my voice on how it sounds. So that's why I trust me. I've tried that whole video thing. I have, I've tried that whole podcast thing and it's just, I, it just like, it hurts to hear my mm. voice. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It hurts. <laughs> well, I think your success is still a testament to that. The on the grassroots still in-person networking probably yeah. is still, is still king in today's society, especially in, in, in your business, I would imagine. Yeah, 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 that is, um, yeah, and I that's the one thing that I've seen the most success on, like networking, being one on one with people, meeting people in person in the office. I feel like a lot of people like to do like stuff like these Zoom meetings, and I'll see you at the office, I'll see you at the house, I'll see you over there. I like to meet with people in person. I like to shake people's hands. I like to, yeah, that I think that has helped my success yeah do you ever get nervous meeting new people or new clients anymore or have you done enough to be like i've seen it all lawyers lawyers intimidate me mm. yeah lawyer lawyers i've i've helped a few and uh they i don't know why it's just the whole you know them knowing the law more than me they kind of like and do i supposed to say that you know stuff like that mm. yeah but no everybody's you know like like i said like I'm lucky enough that most of my clientele are like either close friends or part of the gym or part of my past clients, you know, sphere. Mm -hmm. So it's just people who know who I am, who know how, you know, how I work. So it's easy for them when they meet me, they already kind of have an idea on who I am and how I work. So that part is, you know, pretty easy for me. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy that sometimes networking is just easy as being yourself around people yeah. <laughs> and then the people who and, like you will seek you out exactly and i feel yeah. like everyone is trying to be whoever everybody's trying to be liked by everyone 
And if you're in a networking event and everybody's acting the same, and here comes Frank with his inappropriate jokes and, you know, trying to <laughs> be, you know, a little different, it, you stick out. You're like the guy who was, you know, wild and crazy and being himself while everybody's being the same. You know, it's, it's you know, it's been good for me. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's out. one of the things I love about you is your personality is such a, like a, a new take and it's such a fresh take because it, like you said, it's, 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 I mean, I guess everyone's is different to a degree, but yours stands out. And do you feel like you've had to work at that or has that just always been a part of you? No. Well, um, I think the thing is that you only kind of know me from the gym mm. and at the gym, like I am like myself, like True. that's me, like is, you know, and mm. No, I've always been the same since I'm a little kid. Like I've always, you know, gotten in trouble for talking too much, gotten in trouble for saying the inappropriate things or, you know, talking when I shouldn't be talking or saying the things that everybody thinks, but nobody says. Like that has always been me since I'm a little kid. And like I said, I'm 38 years old. And to this day, like I still get in trouble with my mom for saying stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> like she she follows me on social media. And if she sees something that she doesn't like, I get a call like so why are you flipping off yeah why are you flipping yeah. off the camera like why are you so disrespectful with and i'm like it's a joke mom <laughs> like why are you calling this person stupid like i'm like mom it's a joke relax <laughs> mm. as someone who's around yeah. at the gym i can attest that that it's it's all from a place of love i would imagine correct yeah. me if i'm wrong on that yeah 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 and and um like i tell people if i if i make fun of you or if i'm you know it's because I like you and I feel comfortable with you. Like if I don't like somebody or if I don't feel comfortable with them, that person does not come out. Like that person does not exist with that crowd. Mm. Like, you know, that, the funny Frank, the, you know, that version only comes out when I'm, when I feel 100% myself with the, especially at the gym, you know, I yeah. want to make sure, you know, I don't offend anyone. They understand my sense of humor and stuff like that. Yeah. How long did it take you to warm up to people at Fury? Yeah, when did you start going to Fury? I started going to Fury in late 2014. Okay. No, and I fit right in. Like mm. it was like the week of like I met Pam and Adrian like right away, like my first few weeks. And um I like I like I felt like I knew known them my whole life. And then at the time the owner was uh, Peter mm. and he knew that I was starting to you know get into real estate so he helped me a lot with networking at the, at the gym like sponsoring the events sponsoring you know putting my name on the wall and he helped me understand the value of you know your your brand inside of a gym like Fury so um no I fit it right in and as you know, people are, we're so lucky that people are, everybody's so welcoming. Everybody's like your best friend right away. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everybody's so supportive and it's like, yeah, no, but I, I, I fell right in. Yeah. yeah. How did you feel? This might be a weird question, but you know, you felt like you fit right in. Was that, was that comforting for you? Or were you like, oh, like, are these people genuine? Like, did you ever have like second thoughts like that? Yeah. Mm, so I would yeah. get home and I would be like, these people are way too happy. Like, like they, like, I feel like they didn't have real problems in life. <laughs> but then you, later you understand that they're just, you know, which is normal, which is that hour that you're at the gym, you're just like, 
nothing else matters. You're just trying to lift, you know, 80 kilos or 100 kilos or whatever. Mm. And uh, yeah, it took me a minute to be like, well, these people are way too happy. They're way too friendly. They must want something from me, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it is yeah. funny though that that is our, like, that's our natural tendency whenever someone's super nice to think that they they want a relationship or they want what we have to offer, you know, it, and it's hard to to get over that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I haven't been to that many CrossFit gyms. I was really lucky. I started in a little CrossFit gym in Glendale and I was there for only like two months. And then we moved to Goodyear and uh, I started going to Fury. So Fury is pretty much the only gym that I've ever been to. Mm. But you talk to other people who come from other gyms and they're like, oh no, everybody's like that in every single you know, look, affiliate, or what is it they call them? Affiliate. I think so, yeah, affiliate, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the same, you know, crowd. It's the same type of vibe. It's the same relationships that grow inside of the gym. Mm. So if you started there in 2014, what happened between, were you doing CrossFit a lot before that, between like basketball ending and getting to that? Did you have a fitness routine at that season of life? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, when I graduated high school, I kept, you know, actively playing basketball like in little club leagues and stuff like that and um i would start going to you know a regular la fitness just to kind of you know continue to work out just to be fit enough to keep up with the with the basketball schedule mm. and then i i stopped working out and playing basketball for like a year a year and a half like around 2008 to 2010 when i was like so busy at work and then i started going back to um I, I think at that time it was called Gold's Gym. Mm-hmm. And they had like a little CrossFit area. And then I started liking like the the sandbags, the you know, the yoke carries and stuff like that. So um I you know, I knew a guy that started CrossFit. So that's how I got introduced that way. Mm, and, yeah, and but so you, you know, just normal. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you kind of got into it before it was cool. Like in the early 20 teens, even in 2014, it was still like on the come up. Yeah, it was yeah. it was starting to be a thing. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know about it. Like you would tell people like I do CrossFit and people would be like, what's that? And now like everybody knows. It's yeah. Yeah, but it was early. I got in early. It was yeah. so competitive at the time. Yeah, it was like like especially at Fury, we had like five or six guys that were trying to go to regionals and a guy that was going to the games and you know, we had two teams that went to regionals. Regionals was like, you know, the second, you know, competition in the CrossFit Games. So it's like the Open and then regionals and then the Games. So it was like a whole competitive crowd that was at Fury. I feel like all of that has kind of slowed down a little bit now. But um, at that time, it was peak. It was like people were taking CrossFit like way too serious. Mm-hmm. And you being the competitive yeah. guy you are, do you, do you feel like you went through that? season of taking it too serious and like wanting to do yes. everything yeah i was really fit for like three days Nick. Like, I was like, really, <laughs> <laughs> like really crossfit fit for three days uh i'm just kidding no um there was one year i think 2017 when um yeah 2017 um real estate was going really well so i you know i hired my first um showing agent at the time and I was kind of like, okay, I can have some time for myself now. And then I, um, yeah, I was doing two a days and I was putting in time and stuff. But then you realize that at the time I was, I was what, like 34, 33. 
like no matter what I would do, like I would never be able to be successful at CrossFit. Like it's, you you know, in, in, in CrossFit, like there's no, like you find out real quick that there's no way you can keep up with those. Like those guys were like faster, stronger, fitter than me and they weren't even trying that hard. So I'm like, okay, I'm just wasting time here. But no, yeah, I, I try to be competitive, but you know, I, I just don't have it. I don't like to be hurt. I don't like my body to hurt. And I yeah. think in order to do, I think you have to be a little stupid and a little, you know, yeah, yep. off in order to be really good at CrossFit. Yeah, you got to go to dark Maybe places. that's my excuse. Yeah, yeah that, maybe that's, that's mine my too. Excuse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I heard uh, one of my good friends, he says that everybody, like all the PTs, all the doctors that he knows, that they don't make it that far in CrossFit. They are they're always like very very fit but they never make it to like games level stuff like that is because they're way too smart and they know how far to take their body mm. i don't know maybe that's the excuse we used to um no, I was say, thanks for giving me another excuse about being too intelligent to go that hard i appreciate that yeah yeah you're way too smart and way yeah. too good looking <laughs> so do you feel like to me, there's there's a spectrum, right? There's people who love end goals, and then there's people who love a, trying to achieve that goal. I think you know, Gary V calls it like playing the game. Where yeah. would you say you're more of like end goal or pursuit of the goal person? I like I like the pursuit of the goal. Mm. Once I hit that goal, like like it's scary because I need I always need to be doing something new. Like I always have to be doing something challenging. If I achieve something. Like it's always like, what's next? What's next? What's next? I like, I don't like long-term goals. Like I like monthly things every quarter. I like, you know, okay, I'm going to save this much money because I want to buy this or I want to ship this by this age. Like it's never like an end result. You know, it's always like quick, short, let's go next, 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 next. Yeah. And realistic too. I think that's, my mom helped me a lot with that. She was, um, I think goals have to be realistic. And I think a lot of us put goals that are like unachievable. And then you get frustrated when those goals, when you cannot achieve that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you gone through like, that yourself? No, no. I had yeah. my, yeah, my mom, my mom pretty Still much from a young on. age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's like, well, relax, calm down. You're yeah. not playing in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> you better learn a skill, like relax. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I'm not going to pay $10,000 for you to go to a basketball camp because you're not going to go to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, especially with, you know, with um, at our age, I think goals have to be realistic. And can that even exist? That's what I tell my daughters. Like, I have two daughters. I have a seven-year-old and a 15-year-old. And I tell them, you know, I want your goals to be, you know, realistic. Does that you know, end result, does, does it even exist? You know, is that even possible? Like, is this something that you just, is it a wish or is it a goal? Because if it's a wish, you're just throwing something out of the air and hopefully you'll get there. Mm. If it's a goal, we can put steps, systems to where you can achieve that, you know? Mm. That's what I find from the most successful people is that they they have systems, they have procedures that they love the pursuit rather than just yeah. this lofty number like i want to hit a million a year it's like great you get there now what yeah and how are you going to get there that's the most important thing like i can tell you i want to make a million dollars you know a month okay yeah that's nice how are you going to get there like 
that can be that's a wish like if you don't have a plan and you don't have steps on how to get there you can't just say i'm gonna figure it out figuring it out it only takes you so far in life either that or you're very lucky you know <laughs> yeah yeah fortunate yeah yeah. Mm. yeah what do you think about that with goals how do you i i align with what you i i'm more of a, a systems and what are the the habits and behaviors that I can do each and every day to get yeah. to whatever I'm trying to go to. So I think I read this in Atomic Habits by James Clear is that the person you want to be, what are their daily habits and routines? And what does that look like? So instead of what yeah. they have, like, what do they do? I'm like, oh, yep. okay, okay. I, I, I can get down with that. <laughs> yep, that's that's right, exactly. That's yeah. exactly how I feel. Yeah. Mm. So I want to transition to parenting. And okay. so you mentioned your daughters and you feel like growing up, you had all this pressure, this immigrant mentality, but now you're at a place where you've, like you said, you've been very financially successful. Do you want them to have that same mentality you have? Or do you, you, you know what I'm asking here? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a struggle, man. And I've yeah. struggled with that uh, since, since the little one was born, since the oldest one was born, because I knew I was going to give them everything they needed. And at first it was, it was a big fight between me and the mom because I'm like no they have to earn whatever they get they're not just getting a, an iPad because it's a Tuesday you know you know if they break an iPad I want them to work to pay that back you know but um it's really hard for them to have the same mentality that I have because they grew up with everything you know like they grew up in a nice house they go to a nice school you know they have never been hungry they have never been, they've always known that dad has, you know, that has their back. And uh, my daughter, she, the oldest one, she wants to go into immigration law. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to her and I'm like, well, you, she likes really expensive things and, you know, she likes nice things. And I'm like, well, there's not that much money in immigration law. Like most of the, mm, most of the job that you're going to do is pretty much going to be charity work. And, you know, yeah, you're going to get paid, but it's not going to be to support the lifestyle that you want. Nick, she told me something that I'm never going to forget. She said, oh, I, I want to make a difference. I want to, you know, help people. I know you have money, so we can always live up with your money. Mm. <laughs> but I want to help people. And I'm like, well, 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 that's my money. Like, <laughs> you're going to have to work on your own for that. But um, it's a struggle, man. It's I, I want them to be happy and be successful and give them everything they want and everything they need. By doing that, I think I'm doing them, a, I'm not do, helping them want that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The stride thing, you know, success has to be aligned with struggle. And if you don't struggle to get the success, I don't think it tastes the same. Mm. yeah there's a quote like unearned wisdom or unearned success is poisonous yeah something like exactly. that yeah 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 that's yeah. that's what i wanted to say but you you, you nailed it <laughs> that's exactly what you i was thinking it. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it's so it's so hard to do that too because you're at a position where you can and at what point no. is do you just create these or manufacture hard things for them for no reason when you yeah. when you don't have to like it's any i'm sure maybe looking back at your upbringing you're like oh it would have been nice to have xyz thing all the time here and you can give them that now so it's hard to not do that so um yeah we we went through through a time where my oldest one was like kind of acting up and you know thinking that she was better than other kids and you know whatever you know what they 
you know, teenage kids, you know, how they grow up. And um, I used to take her to, um, I don't know if you were in Arizona at the time, but around 2016, um, there was a center downtown Phoenix where they used to keep the kids that were separated in the border. Um, during that time, um, if if you had, let's say, let's say you and three kids, right, were crossing the border, you guys get arrested, your kids will go to this detention center, you will go to a different detention center. So downtown Phoenix, there was a, a big, you know, it was like part of the hospital, but it was like a big warehouse where they had, I'm not going to lie, like probably a thousand kids. And my daughter was acting up at the time. So I knew a guy that worked there. So I took my daughter there to volunteer on Thursdays. We used to go Thursdays and she would volunteer from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Nick, that changed her life. Mm. That's the reason why she wants to be a, an immigration attorney. Mm. So I took her there to kind of understand what she, her life could have been. The, the first time that I took her, she cried the whole way home because it was, you know, there was kids that look exactly like her that, you know, speak the same language as their dad. And just because they were born, you know, south of an imaginary, well, south of a border, they were separated from their parents and they had not seen their parents for a week or two weeks. And there were kids like crawling, like two, three months, you know, two, three years old, you know, barely starting to walk. And, you know, they're there without their mom. You know, and it was it was challenging, man. And that, when I did that, it kind of made her understand what her life could have been, and that changed the way she was acting at the time. So that's that's what I did to kind of, you know, help her understand that whatever she has is because Daddy has worked a lot. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that she actually got, but her life could have been that. Yeah, it was it was really sad. It's if you ever have a chance, you know, you know, kind yeah. of go help out there. It's it, it changes your life, man. That's profound. Was, yeah, yeah. And my my therapist says that I might have, you know, damaged my daughter. You know, exposing her <laughs> to that, <laughs> exposing her to that. I'm like, well, she'll learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. do feel like though. Hopefully, as she, I don't know if she said like thank you already, but I imagine. Sometimes if she ever like in her twenties and thirties goes through any, th any sort of struggle, she may look back and remember that moment and go, Oh, like perspective. Got it. Okay. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, so right now she's like, you know, she's so into, you know, school and, you know, this is what I want to be and this is what I want to do just to help that. But she hasn't realized what I did and why I did it. She just knows that that's what she has to do, but she doesn't understand what the motive was for me to help. She doesn't hate me or she doesn't like, she, yeah, she remembers the kids because after COVID, we were not able to go anymore because, you know, the whole, mm, the whole COVID yeah. situation, whatever. Yeah. So we haven't been back, but uh, no, she, hopefully one day she understands what I did was for the best. Mm. And yeah. if you feel like, so let's take us back to, 11 year old Frank, you just, you just come to Virginia or not for six years. Come to Arizona. <laughs> what piece of advice would the, the current Frank give that 11 year old Frank? Slow down, mm. slow down and enjoy the ride. Like, like I, 
like I said, I had too much pressure. I had too many responsibilities at a very young age. I wish I could have like slowed down and smell the roses, you know, like they say, like um, kind of like enjoy the basketball camps, enjoy high school, enjoy college, instead of having the pressure of being successful, of making money, helping my mom, helping my dad, you know, having my daddy, you know, screaming at me on the phone because a certain tool that he needed wasn't, wasn't in the truck or something like that, you know, like mm-hmm. instead of having like, instead of stressing over problems that were not really my responsibility, kind of like slow down and kind of find a way to tell my parents that I needed to be a kid. Mm. I needed to be a teenager. I needed to be a high school you know, student. I needed to have fun instead of having all this, you know, weight on my shoulders, you know, and kind of like, you know, everything is going to be okay. Mm. You know, like that, you know, even, even just saying that everything is going to be okay. You know, everything is going to, you know, pay off that. Yeah. I yeah. would tell that to 11 year old Frank. Yeah. And I think the quote I've heard once is you, we have a hundred percent track record of figuring it out. Yeah. So with regards and, to what situation we'll find a way. Yeah. And every problem has big as it is right now. In two weeks, that problem is going to be pretty much, unless, you know, it's something major or big. But if you figure it out, you know, why stress about it? If I mean, if it becomes a bigger problem, then stress about it then. But yeah, you'll figure it out. You'll adapt. You'll, yeah, you can always figure things out, like you say. Mm. Do you feel like you're taking that advice now? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I've learned how to like relax. You know, I went, you know, 2022 was a really stressful year for me. So, I've learned, I've learned that, you know, kind of relax, let things be and everything will be solved in time. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a fantastic words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> you, should, and, you should hear my Spanish. My Spanish. Yeah, in Spanish, yeah. it would have been way better. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell us that in Spanish real quick? Let's see if anybody takes it away. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> So Frank, this is this is Gut Check Radio. So essentially what we've been doing for this entire hour is exploring the gut check moments on your life. And like we've talked about before, success leaves clues. So I, I started this podcast to maybe help give people like what things can we take away from people who have been through these gut check moments that have come out on the other end successful. So what would you say with that in mind, your most recent gut check moment in business, fitness, anything that has been and sort of like walk us through what it was like to go through it? Okay, so um, 2020 was, uh, as you know, it was a really stressful time for all of us. Like, um, we didn't know what was going to happen after COVID, especially in the real estate market. So, you know, seeing that big old change in everybody else's life and being able to say, well, whatever is going on right now in the world, whatever is, you know, COVID's agenda, whatever, we have to make sure we get out of this one. And, you know, kind of, I I was lucky enough that I surrounded myself with very, you know, smart and supportive people at the time. And um, I didn't, a lot of realtors that I know kind of like clocked out and they're like, I am not going to work. I'm not going to do this. But, you know, I was able to push through the struggles that we had at the time. And um, 2020, 2021, 2022, I've had the biggest years, um, you know, the most successful years 
numbers wise and stuff like that, just because of overcoming all those obstacles that we had. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or no, that does it. That's beautiful. Yeah. To, to see it through and to, to see it through. Yeah. To, to not sit down and just wait for the government to tell us when can we go out? When can you do this? I mean, kind of like fight through whatever we needed to fight and, you know, adjust to all the changes that we had, you know, do we have to wear a mask today? No mask, mask, you know, and I just kind of, adjust more than anything. This is a new life. Okay, let's go. You know, like, I'm not gonna like, um, a friend of mine, Mike Johnson, you might know him. Mm-hmm. He um, he's one of the partners of the gym. He told me early during COVID, he's like, "We're not gonna change what everybody else is doing. We're not gonna change what the government is doing to us, but we can change our little community. We can change. You can make you know, make sure your family is good. Make sure your close friends are good. Forget about Arizona. Forget about the United States. For you're not gonna impact everybody. You." Whatever opinions you have of what the government is doing, whatever opinions you have on the mandates, whatever they have, we cannot change that. Yes, we can go and protest and yell and do whatever you want, fight with people on Twitter, whatever. At the end of the world, at the end of the day, the only thing you can change is your close circle, your family, your close friends, your community. So if you stay tied to that and make sure they are okay, you know, you're going to be okay. Mm. Man, I need to go back and re-listen to that that three or four minutes. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you, Nick. Yeah. So, Frank, if people want to learn more about you, tell them, you know, plug your stuff, pay the little bit, bills a little bit more, let them know where they can find Frank. Um, yeah, well, I'm pretty much Instagram is my main, you know, form of communication right now. Um, my old account got hacked, so I had to open a brand new one. Mm. Yeah, it got hacked about three weeks ago. So it's uh, Frank the Realtor. You know, Frank the Realtor pretty much everywhere. Um, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm trying to get into TikTok, but I'm too old for that. I don't understand the whole editing tools. And it might and get banned friends. soon anyway. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it probably will. But it's, yeah. But no, um, yeah. You know, sold.ftr.com. That is my website. And um, yeah, I, you know, I spend about 10 to 15 hours a week in CrossFit Fury. So if you ever want to find me, I'm probably there working out or, you know, cleaning up or doing something there making a lot of noise yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. making a lot of noise yeah. so <laughs> it's out uh, frank the realtor in, in instagram facebook everywhere perfect and we'll, we'll pull out all that information in the show notes and frank i okay. appreciate you making the time today it's been a pleasure and to listeners thank you all for tuning in today well thank you so much nick thank you for the opportunity and it was a pleasure man Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.